1: That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Visit Juvederm That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot when you want to have fun and have scratchers to scratch, there's a playful way you can do just that. Scratch with the key or acrylic nail. Scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail. Use a belt buckle from your friend Lamar. Or scratch with your pick while you play guitar. You can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways. Scratchers from the California Lottery. A little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim.
0: It's easy to get lost in the latest true crime podcast or your favorite binge-worthy show. But what about your own story? That's the most important story of all, and therapy helps you write it. BetterHelp Therapy is 100% online and designed to be convenient and flexible enough to squeeze in between the next episode on your list. Get started today at betterhelp.com slash pause for 10% off your first month.
2: And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry.
3: And I'm Mary Beth.
2: In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child.
3: This week, our guest is playwright and writer and showrunner of Prime Video's new series, The Horror of Dolores Roach, Aaron Bark. Welcome to the show, Aaron!
4: Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to to talk to you both.
2: We're very excited to chat with you because we both... Love the horror of Dolores Roach. So let's Thank you. let's kind of start there. What is the horror, horror of Dolores Roach? Can you let our listeners know a little bit about the show, the podcast, the one act play? The is it a one act play? <laughs> I know it's, it's a, a one woman play. It's, it's a, a one woman
4: play. It's about eighty minutes, so we co- it is technically it, okay. one act, but we, okay. we 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 cheat and refer to it as a full length piece. Okay. How About that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's um, a, yeah, So let. Yeah. Let our listeners know a little bit about that.
4: Well, in its in its most recent form, the horror of Dolores Roach is a Blumhouse and Amazon Prime. Uh, it's eight half hours, the first season, and it's essentially a contemporary Sweeney Todd story set in Washington Heights in New York City. And I, I like to say that instead of a Victorian barber who slits people's throats, the character is a woman named Dolores Roach, and uh, she's a masseuse who accidentally on purpose strangles some of her massage clients and her friend upstairs cooks them into empanadas. As you do. As one does. And so we we just uh, it just launched a month ago on Amazon Prime starring the brilliant, brilliant, brilliant Justina Machado as Dolores. So good. The series is based on a podcast that I made a few years back that we did two seasons of for Gimlet and Spotify with the same title. That starred the equally extraordinary Daphne Rubin Vega, who I had created the the whole piece for in the first place we did a play called Empanada Loca off Broadway in 2015 that was a one person a, a series of one-person uh, horror monologue plays I was doing that nobody asked for, and um, that one was for <laughs> Daphne. So we did it off Broadway. Then we did the podcast. Now we did the TV show, and so it's anybody's guess what 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 form will Dolores take next.
2: I love that. I, I have to say because um I I so I finished the first season and I was like I need more. Is there going to be a second season or is there anything you can <sighs> listen? Talk about I that
4: yet? I want to do I we very much want to do it. I know exactly what it is. Um, there's much more story to tell. We always say Dolores is unkillable. I- I'll say that you know th- what I believe the second season is for television is very different than the second season of the podcast. Okay, um, okay. you know we're we're in the middle of the strike. I I I am very oh, yeah. very happy that the studios came to the the negotiating table last week and um, that the studios and the the WGA have been talking. Hallelujah. Uh, I'm hopeful we'll be able to get back to work soon, and and then we'll know something more concrete. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool.
3: Well, so I would love to know like where Dolores Roach kind of came for you originally. Like where did this incredible weird woman come from?
4: <laughs> well, I I was living in Washington Heights in New York. I was a I was a broke playwright living in Washington Heights <laughs> and I had started working on I mean, I joke about the series of one-person horror horror monologue plays that nobody asked for, but it's it's the truth. That's what I that was many years of my career were were those plays. And I had done the first one, um, which was a contemporary Medea story starring the, the great Tom Hewitt. And I, I was looking for a piece that could be a companion piece for that play. And um, I was an M, a Daphne Rubin Vegas super fan. And didn't know her personally, but I was—I inhabited this musical theater scene in New York, and I knew a lot of people in common with her. And I kept thinking, "Oh my God, I got to write something for Daphne Rubin Vega. If only I could, uh, if I could work with Daphne Rubin Vega." And Tom, who had done my Medea play, had done Rocky Horror on Broadway with Daphne, and so I kept hearing about her. And I was living in Washington Heights and watching the gentrification happen mm. at the speed of light. And I, I thought, my God, this is cannibalistic. This is this is what we do as a species. We we cannibalize. We feed on communities. And that for me was, oh, my God, it's Daphne Vega as a reinvention of Sweeney Todd set in present-day Washington Heights. And so I was in a meeting with Jim Nicola who at the time was running New York Theatre Workshop where Rent premiered, where Daphne had started Rent originally. Um. And I said to Jim, I have this crazy idea. It's Daphne, Sweeney Todd in my neighborhood. And he said, well, if you write it, I'll give it to her. So I went off and her very hurriedly wrote it. This was 10 years ago now. And he gave it to her and she called me and said, what is this? Do you want to come talk about it? And so I went over to her her apartment and we sat on the floor and drank coffee and she read this early draft of the play for me out loud and and we were off. And she and I developed it for two years around New York before we did our production. And then we went and did it for a night in London. And then she and I produced on our own an audio version of the play before we did the podcast. I mean, this has really been... This has been a decade of just, I mean, it's been, yeah. a, it's been quite a a, a ride.
3: That's wow. crazy. I, I just, i I'm like, we've spoken about it before, but every time you talk about it, it's just like, <laughs> it's wild, the like evolution yeah. of this whole thing and how it's it must crazy. feel to be. And also like, you're so close to every part of it. Like you've oh, only, yeah. it's never like, you've never like given it away. It's kind of cool that you've been involved so create so close creatively to the different forms of it and seeing it evolve. Like that's just got to be so cool and gratifying as an artist and as a playwright. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
4: Yes, thank you. It it is. And and I it's not lost on me how unusual. I mean, it's unusual not only that the piece has had the life that it's had, but exactly you say that I've been there for it. Yeah. Is, and by the way, I mean, there were many moments in time where I was not, I mean, where I wouldn't have. Like it took at very key moments, really key people saying, "No, no, he's coming with." And yeah. um, so I like barely. It's it's it blows my mind that I. Um, yeah, no, it's it's it's. I have no, this is me speechless. I have no. It's crazy.
2: How did you get involved with like with Blumhouse for to make the the show version of of this incredible long history, long gestating like project? So okay, so I. I will give
4: you a brief anecdote to, to contextualize my answer to that, which is that okay. after we did the play off Broadway, my now manager, who was then my TV agent, said to me, she was the first human to say to me, this is a TV show. And I was like, all right, uh, great. <laughs> and worked, this is 2016, worked with me to build out the pitch for what was then a television version of the play. Okay. And I was still watching just came out to LA, pitched it all over town. People thought I was out of my mind. Like laughed out of rooms. Like you're like you're oh adorable. God. You think this is a TV show, but I had all this material. That's what became the podcast. So I say that to say, within weeks of the podcast coming out, suddenly there were suddenly people were bidding on the TV rights, and among the people bidding on the TV rights was Blumhouse. But not only that, Jason himself found me, reached out to me directly,
0: oh. and
4: took me to lunch in in Brooklyn. And this is you know, Get Out had not been out for that long. Sharp Objects had just come out, like. This was a moment I thought, oh my god, like if this if ever there was a Blumhouse show, it's this. And and it wasn't just, not to say just, like not to minimize it, but it but it wasn't even you know, Blumhouse like an offer coming through an entity through another entity through another entity. Right. It was Jason saying to me, "This is a Blumhouse show. Please let us do this." That's so cool. Casual. So- yeah. Don't know. Yeah. Right.
3: I wonder you got into being into theater. Like, when were you a theater kid in high school? Like, when did theater become part of your life and playwriting? <sighs>
4: Well, I was a th- I mean, I still am a theater kid. Really, I, that's like really the essence of who I am. And 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 <laughs> since I was little, I mean, I started writing in the third grade. I wrote, I wrote my, I wrote and directed two play. One was a play, one was a musical in the third grade. Oh my One god. of them, I swear to you, one of them was about cannibalism.
3: Oh my god! In the third
4: grade, true, this that is, is true. so amazing. Wow. One was about cannibalism, and one was about a kid being infected with HIV from a used needle on the street. Oh, oh my shit. god! In the third grade, yeah. So I was a theater, like I was a theater, and I was (laughs) a child actor in Texas. So I was in musicals as a kid growing up, and then I went to performing arts high school. So it's okay. Wow. So you've
3: been like in it for a long time.
4: No, it's my it's it's like a religion. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so, I mean, not to jump, Hell like, yeah. I know I'm going to jump around in time and then we'll go back. But, like, oh, when correct. we eventually talk about Death Trap, it's hard to, like, that's how I ultimately found that and horror was through the theater.
2: Okay.
3: Uh cool. We'll get to excited that. We're going to get to that. I'm very excited to talk about that for sure. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I, there's an angle that I would like to talk on because um, I, I feel like there's not, and maybe, maybe it's just I'm not in the know, but it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of horror plays. No. Um like I've I've seen like I've seen like the Evil Dead musical and like Jacqueline Hyde Family Opera, that kind of stuff. But like most of the time for it particularly with plays, I don't I don't see a whole lot. No. And
4: and that – okay. So thank you for that observation because this – because you've just touched on what is my creative preoccupation of my life, honestly, is that there was a period of time, many decades, when the stage thriller was not only very common but really very commercially viable as mainstream entertainment. Mm -hmm. um, Which also connects to what we're going to talk about. and. What I'm really fascinated with um, creatively is is before that, from the late 1800s to the the, the mid 1900s, was the was the Grand Guignol horror yeah. theater, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. and that school of of theater, that body of work, which is really about grounded, naturalistic horror of the possible, is like gone, like it went away. And the stage thriller went away. And so when I started writing these monologue plays, I mean, it didn't go away. I I hate to – I don't want to dismiss – there are absolutely still pieces being done and there are people doing that work and and I love every one of those people. So I don't want to to totally erase that. But in terms of mainstream theater such as it exists, it's very, very rare. And so I started doing these monologue plays because of that, because I was going, where are these plays? And my theory then was – Okay, so we're now in an age where I can look on my phone and see a decapitation, or I can see the most graphic, <laughs> realistic special effects. You can't match that on the theater in the theater. So the concept of these monologue plays was, okay, we're not going to depict anything. We're going to put it in your mind. You, audience member, are going to create the imagery. And what's scary is that you're in the room with the perpetrator. So it was sort of, I was like, all right, let's yeah. go around. But I'm... I'm completely obsessed with the history of horror theater and and how to do it and how to bring it back. I mean, that really is my, like, that's my
2: preoccupation. That's so cool. I love that because um, – and we're, we're really going to touch on this when we talk about the movie yes. that you brought with you yes, today. Yes, for sure. But, like, I have – there was a time like I've, I've kind of fallen out with theater to be perfectly honest recently, but I want to get back into it. But there was like a time when I was, when I was like obsessed with musicals, obsessed with theater, obsessed with plays. And I had never, especially growing up um, when I did in like Nebraska, (laughs) which is where I'm currently living, but it's like, it was hard to find um, anything that wasn't like, you know, very, Mm, mainstream friendly, you know, yeah. like the Hello Dollies or like, sure. the, you know, that kind of stuff where it wasn't happening a whole lot. And so for me, anytime there would be a play that would come out or a musical that had any sort of like thriller or horror tinge to it, I was immediately on it because I, yeah. I remember going to see Bat Boy at the Omaha oh, Theater sure. And I was like, this is the kind of stuff like I, I love yeah. that there are this 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 kind of horror, but there's not a whole lot of it from from where I was I was sitting at least.
4: A hundred percent. I you're you are very not alone in 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 that. Okay, and good. I by the way, like I identified <laughs> Just that. Me I out too. Of it? <laughs> no, not at all. I was in I was in Houston, Texas, and and go like I would get little doses of like Bat my God, I loved Bat Boy. I mean I still love Bat Boy. But at the time it's in fun, high school I remember seeing him going, well this is you know um the in Houston where I grew up, the alley theater there's an amazing regional theater there. Would do? I think they still do it. Summer chills in the in the summer, and they would okay. produce old mysteries, and they would produce every summer an Agatha Christie <gasps> oh. and another obscure, like this very obscure uh, stage mystery called the Thirteenth Chair, which was a movie with Bella Lugosi that I saw as a teenager. Okay. I was like, "What the
2: hell?" Like oh. nobody does this play,
4: and I was like, "Jones, and like give me more of that." But it's it's there's not a ton of it out there.
2: There's not. When you start talking about how, like, it, there used to be – I do remember because, like, in high school, um, I was in a production of um, the Musical Comedy Murders of 1940. I don't sure. know if you're familiar. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, like, that one is a comedy, but it also yeah. has, like, thriller elements to it. Yeah. And I was like – I did not know that this thing existed until it was being produced in my high school. And I was like, yeah. this is the kind of shit I want to see more of. Yeah, yeah. You and me both. It is out there. Yeah. But,
4: uh Yeah. Yeah, the music comedy. I know that piece, of course. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so okay, but like, how did you get introduced to horror? At, was it was it through plays, or how did you kind of get introduced to it?
4: It was through it was through the theater. It was through um I was a, so I was a, uh, I, I was a child actor in 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 Texas and and um I mean something that comes to mind is I I was as a kid in a production of Phantom, not the Andrew Lloyd Webber Phantom of the Opera, but another Phantom musical, and so that was my introduction to that. Character in the lexicon mm-hmm. in maybe fourth grade or okay. something. And it was that. I was drawn to that. The, the musicals, I really was a musical theater kid, but I was drawn to okay. that character. I was, you know, of all the generation that was into, okay. like, Into the Woods, for me it was like, oh, the wolf and the witch. Like, I was always just into the macabre. And then mm-hmm. started to discover the Agatha Christie stage canon. Mm-hmm those pieces you know and then there were on in the mass trap and the more the 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 less known plays for me as a kid were huge and um that's what did it for me it wasn't movies cool. honestly that that got okay. me into it um i i discovered movies and horror on screen as a teenager really because as oh, okay. a oh, as cool. a musical theater okay. kid i was like the one that was interested in the dark shit one of which was the movie we're going to talk about now or today or whenever we when we get to it (laughs) but that's that's really that's what it was for me it was it was mysteries first okay oh
3: cool okay but so were you ever scared by them at all like yeah okay okay so you were easily okay cool so even though okay i want to hear more about that so like how did they affect you like did they give you like a sense of paranoia i feel like they would have given me like a paranoia sense, but like what was that like for you as a kid
4: I remember feeling a visceral, like, electric rush that I did not feel anywhere else in my life. And sometimes that was sitting in a theater where I was like, oh, my God, I can be in a room of people and, like, we're all experiencing this together. Holy mother of God. That blew my mind as a kid. And then I would read plays and have, you know, the the experience I think that some kids have reading – you know, Stephen King novels, for me it was like sitting in my bed, you know, reading Angel Street, just being like freaked out. I was so fascinated too with characters like the Phantom of the Opera that I that for me as a yeah. kid, just walking around in a dark house, oh my God, is the Phantom gonna cut? You know, the I was I was freaked out. I was a very neurotic and still am, you know, like a neurotic, scared, fearful person and I think discovering horror and and sort of broader genre material in the theater for me was as I think for so many people who love horror it's a safe way to 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 tap into something that in life yeah. feels unmanageable.
3: So then what are some of the scariest plays you have ever seen/read? slash I'm curious.
4: The 13th chair is is up there for me. The, the, okay. There's a yeah. Okay. The th- it's very obscure. There's a moment in the third, at the end of the thirteenth chair that I have never recovered from. Really? Oh. Oh yeah. Like it's still. I mean, I'm being a little hyperbolic, but um, <laughs> but there's a moment in the thirteenth chair that I that is that is like core memory, like like burned into my brain. Okay. Oh. Okay. I would say the the stage version of the Woman in Black, which just closed in London Ooh, after 30 years, okay. Okay. is legitimately terrifying oh,
3: as a so as a live cool. experience terrifying that movie, that movie is ter- that movie scared that movie scary out of me. so yeah. that's amazing that theory the that the one
2: with <gasps> daniel radcliffe yeah that movie yeah 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 yeah,
4: yeah. and oh, the lot the cool. play the the stage adaptation is is uh, i i i would say um uh, one of the best examples of 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 true horror theater now
3: cool okay well that's very good to know if it ever comes over here
4: Yeah, it's worth, it's, I love it. I love it, love it, love it.
3: So then how did you, where, what was your introduction to horror movies? Like, would you remember the first horror movie you ever saw? Well,
4: I mean, look, you know, it's, Death Trap is a thriller. Like, it's, it's a little bit of a stretch to call it horror. I'm going to call it horror because of what it contains. But honestly, it would be that, like, that was the first movie that I remember that we could classify as a horror movie. Okay. That I was like, oh, like, it connected the dots for me. Like, oh, wait a minute. Uh,
3: okay. Like, this exists okay. in
4: this form? Like, it, it was a total <laughs> revelation for me. And th- and then okay. sent off, like, then I went into the Ira Levin Cat. Then it was Rosemary's Baby. Then I got into Hitchcock. Okay. As a teenager, like, honestly, it was the gateway drug for me. Okay, okay. cool.
3: So you, you dove into the classics pretty quickly once you got into... Okay, that's awesome. I, I mean... Again, we'll talk about IR11 and everything. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, what a way to get your start into horror. What an entry.
1: Yeah.
3: But I love that because I don't think we've ever talked to anyone whose entry into horror was plays. Like, we've never spoken (laughs) to anyone. And I love that so much, though, because, like, I mean, even when I was, I, like, took a couple theater classes in college, and it's not the same thing, but, like, we read a lot of plays that, while they're not horror, like... Plays can contain some of the most fucked up, horrific, yeah. like scenarios oh, yeah. you've ever seen in your life, like absolutely. And it's just I've always seen plays as horrific, even though they're not like they're different than what you consider horror. But yeah, man, like you can really yeah pack a punch with. Ugh, I've just seen some crazy plays, so yeah, so yeah,
2: yeah. Well, and, and I, stuff. I, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, no, please go ahead.
4: No, I just was going to say, in terms of crazy stuff, like uh, like I read so often about the plays that were done at the Grand Guignol. This is a hundred yes. years ago now, and the stuff that was being done live yes. rivals the glorious shit that we see in film and tv now like it blows my mind like
3: it's so did cool that live crazy did gory re- shit i did a research project yeah. on that once and i was like this is the oh. coolest thing ever why oh, don't we yeah. do this anymore like why I are mean, we not like blood spraying it's like a yeah. war concert like yes. blood spraying everywhere like why yes. do we not do more of this Splash blood zones. and
4: limbs and and audience members passing out
2: and throwing oh. up and like true true horror oh yeah, well, and I'm I'm actually surprised that we haven't had like a a more of a renaissance of it recently because there's been a lot of like I would say there's a lot of indie horror films that are particularly one location set like that yeah. is a a yeah. hugely popular uh, subgenre of horror right now yeah, for is sure. the like one location horror thing and I'm like a lot of it like I was I and um, I was gonna bring this up while we talk about the movie that you brought yeah. with them because I'm I i do not know if you've ever seen Scare Me, uh, the yes. Josh Rubin movie that came out yes that's like. Yes. I, I, yes, I feel like some, the yes. ending of that in particular yes. has taken from a uh, death trap. Yes, but like th- that would be a thing that like you could do easily with the play. We uh, recently that just came out, Ted Geegan's new movie. Uh, Brooklyn, oh, Brooklyn
3: 45.
2: Yeah, Brooklyn 45 is like set in a in a parlor for the almost the entire time, and I'm like, all of this would be perfect for an adaptation, and I don't, I don't know why that doesn't happen as much.
3: Well, and. Oh, sorry. sorry, keep coming
4: in. Go ahead, please, please. No,
3: you go. No, you first.
4: No, I just was going to say, it's. I mean, you can draw that line, like, direct, like, to, yeah. to to back up in time to Death Trap. I can trace that line mm-hmm. back to Sleuth. I can trace that line back to Angel Street. Like, you really can trace the line from contemporary horror, which, as you're 100%, is so now very popular to do these contained. Pieces mm-hmm. that trace back to the stage thriller, which traces back to melodrama. I mean, that's that's yep. the yeah. roots of our contemporary horror form. Can you can trace back to the 1800s stage? British melodrama.
3: Yeah. Well and yeah. like I guess I'm curious how you think about this, Erin, because I think the hard thing with theater is like accessibility. You know what I mean? Yes. Like and yes. like theater accessibility yes. is such an yes. interesting topic. And again, like I am not super well versed in it, but like it is so interesting because it's a live performance and yeah. a lot of places don't have acts like a lot of people don't have access yep. to that. And it That's is right. kind of it's interesting how that like fits in and how these kind of adaptations of stage plays, not just in like story but just in format. It's interesting. It feels like an evolution of that, but yeah. it's, you know, un- like, unfortunately more accessible. So it is yes. interesting. Like, that. I think yes. like that is such an interesting part of the conversation, too, about, like, that kind of thing.
4: Huge. Uh, you're 100% <laughs> right. And there's a big conversation in the theater industry right now, particularly coming out of the pandemic, about mm-hmm. how do we keep theater more accessible. Yeah. As the theater industry is shrinking, as prices are going up, it's not, it's not accessible, and it's a problem. And I think people in the industry increasingly are aware of that and trying to do something about it. We have to do something about it for yeah. the for the, for the the field to exist. And yeah. I exactly. love that, you know, film and TV is, I mean, there's never been media like we have now accessible around the world. I mean, Dolores was released in I don't even know how many countries around the world. I mean, it blew my mind as a theater person that grew up, you know, grew up as an adult. I mean, doing plays in rooms in downtown Manhattan for 70 people.
2: Right. The reach now that Film and TV has is is completely unrivaled. It really is. Um so kind of sticking with movies a little bit. I want to go back cuz yeah. like so you discovered horror movies kind of in your teens. Um did does that become like something that do you love watching horror movies now as an adult? Yeah, I do.
4: I I see I see less of them in times when I'm working on certain things, I find myself right. sort of like shutting off a little bit um okay. and then having to frantically catch up. But, but yeah, no, I love, yeah, I love the form. And I, and I tend to reach for, I mean, like I was talking about, you know, my Moyen being classics, I tend to reach for honestly, like weird, obscure, like old things because the obsessive part of my brain as someone who does adaptations on, that I can't shut off, I wish I could, is like, what's an old, like, what can I reinvent? Like, what's a thing that can be, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm always looking mm-hmm. for a thing that's been, um, that's been sort of forgotten about but um so i i go to a lot of hitchcock i go to i go to you know i the ira 11 canon i go to like the french horror like my favorite movie perhaps i mean it changes but often i like to say my favorite movie is eyes without a face which is a 1962 french film which is to this day like yeah i mean i could watch the movie on a loop like you know indefinitely
3: um, and then before we jump into the film you brought, I'm curious, has there been anything you've seen recently that is a more recent film that's kind of gotten to you? It's kind of gotten under your skin?
4: Yeah, I finally saw The, the Menu. Okay.
3: Uh, okay. Which Love
4: is food horror, horror adjacent, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, that got under my skin. That got under my skin. I would okay, say also. Um, cool. I finally recently saw Ready or Not. Okay,
3: uh, yeah, Ready That's or fun. Not. I
4: was delighted, 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 delighted by. Ugh, like
3: I love that movie. Yeah, so those much. are two
4: two more recent ones I can. I that love that Ready
3: or Not is like kind of single location horror, but it cheats because it's such a big fucking location. Yes. <laughs> really, <yeah. laughs>
4: it's, it's like an ex- it's expansive
3: that movie. It's mm-hmm. like, gra- and like, I love that though. I love a good single location horror movie that has so much space. Oh, it's yes. just it's So cool. Yes. Well, okay. So we've been dancing around it, but Aaron, yeah. let's talk about the movie you brought with you today. What are we talking about? What is your Scard for Life pick?
4: Okay. I, <laughs> I picked the Sydney Lumet, uh, film adaptation of Ira Levin's Death Trap.
3: Hell yes. And so a brief synopsis for those unfamiliar, a Broadway playwright puts murder in his plan to take credit for a student's play. It's so much more complicated kind than of. that. Yeah, is. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> IMDb we'll get just there. sort of
2: like one wow. sentence like, that's it. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Okay. IMDb. That's but a, a premise. lot more. But uh. okay. Listeners. I just want to say, cause we, you know, this is a spoiler Cast, we always talk about spoilers, but if you've not seen Death Trap, pause this right now and go watch it and come back because, (laughs) yeah, as Mary Beth will explain, it is a surprising movie. Uh, but but Uh, Aaron, take us, take us back. How old were you? How old were you when you saw this? How did you see it? Why is this your Scarred for Life pick? Give us your horror story,
4: okay? So, so I I saw that I'm pretty sure I was 13. Okay. Which is older, I think, than I would have liked. You know, when I was thinking of, like, scared as a kid, like, really. The yeah. things that scared me as a kid really were not, like I said, like, movies. Like, it took, I think, till I was that age to find a, a movie that I was like, oh, what? And I'd seen it because I was, I knew it was a play. I was exploring the the, the horror, thriller, mystery, okay. stage, canon, and I knew, I hadn't read the play, but I knew of the play because the, the play had been, at the time, it opened in 1978 on Broadway, and... You know, nowadays we have these shows on Broadway that run for years and years and years, and that was not the case then. So this play that ran at the time for four years, I mean, that's a huge – like it's hard to contextualize now what a giant success that was. Right. So I knew that history of it. I knew it was done constantly in the theater and that there was this movie. And and I don't remember if I had rented the movie or if it had been on TV, but I remember sitting in the living room in Houston, Texas. I can remember vividly sitting on the floor with it on the television and just being riveted and inspired and terrified. And mm-hmm. and that it opened up for me. It not only scared me, but like unlocked. Like it was, it was that movie for me that was – scary and creatively really pivotal
5: yeah, and really okay. sent
4: me down a path in some like was influential in so so many ways um and there are things about it i think things that maybe not aren't the most obvious things to reach for that to the like i just watched it last week that to this day frighten me
2: okay so um what do, do you remember a particular scene or what was what was the moment because i have like a couple ideas of what it might be but what was like the moment that like <laughs> That oh, this is this is scary. This is uh, working in a way that I was not expecting.
4: So there was a moment I was really I remember this from when I first saw it, and I was really struck by it watching it again last week. That that there's a it's fairly not early on, but it's in the first act. It's before the big jump scare happens. It's before mm-hmm. the big like events okay. happen that people I think would reach for as the scary moments. Yes, <laughs> where Michael Caine, he's got he's got Clifford is there and. You see Michael Caine as Sydney's working out like, I think I'm going to kill this kid. And it's Diane Cannon as Meyer. She's so brilliant. She's, Watching she's... him and you see her working out. I don't know the person i married to as well as I thought I did. And she says to him, "Sydney, my heart can't take it. Hmm. That to me, I found, fa- <clears> honest <throat> to God, I found as a 13 year old, really very frightening. Because I thought, like, oh, this is about secrets. Like, this is about, oh, you think you know somebody and you don't. Like, that, at that age for me, was really terrifying. Like, oh, my God. Like, everybody could be lying. The person you're closest to could be totally lying to you and could actually be a murderer. That blew my mind.
3: Oh no! So this movie was like your introduction to like the fallibility of human beings yeah. and like yes. of adults. Yes, yes, oh, God. yes, yes. That's wow. what scared me.
4: It wasn't the murder. It was like, oh, everybody's lying to each other.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but fair though. You're like, wait, hold on. Adults lie to each other all the time, and like yeah. these consequences and like, yeah, the consequences aren't like that. outlandish. like it's not. Yeah, it's an outlandish story, but I mean, like, it's not like anything fantastical is happening. No. Like, it does <laughs> yeah. feel, especially if you're younger and you're like do people actually interact with each other like this? Yeah. Like, is this how yeah. adults talk to each other in the real world? Yes. Like, yes. I do really shatter your worldview as a child. <laughs> shatter, yes, shattered my worldview. <laughs> and it was the first time I had seen
4: fear itself used as a weapon. Oh, That's okay. the thing that's so unique about this. The weapon isn't all of the – like it's a misdirect, right? Because he's in – you're in this study. You're in the house for people who haven't seen her. I hope you've seen it if you're listening to this. He's surrounded by weapons. He collects weapons. But the mm-hmm. irony is what kills her is fear itself. It
2: is fear itself.
4: So at that age, for someone who was like wow. drawn to the macabre because I was a scared kid – Mm -hmm. There was the concept of like, oh my god, being scared is dangerous. That okay. What I love about this is that it's that's a
2: that's a very mature fear for a thirteen-year-old. Like that's well. a, we. What I love is sometimes we have like people come on the show and it's it's I'm and, like I'm, what was the moment and I'm always thinking about something frightening. Like for instance, in this, when um Clifford burst through the window yeah. and looking. I mean that's all terrifying too. Dangerous <laughs> and sexy and scary. Like yeah. that moment to me, I would. But like the fact that it's more of an existential thing, where like you realize how horrible (laughs) adults can be is something that I, it always amazes me when, when, when people have a a moment like that, as opposed to something more visceral, like, like Clifford jumping through the window.
4: He yeah i mean i it's i don't uh, yeah it spoke it i mean it's weird to say this but like it spoke to me it really it did and i and i was a theater kid and i knew i was going to show business that was the other element of it for me is it's about mm. people in show business who have been so yeah. corrupted by show business that they've like rotted yeah. to the core i was like oh wait is this is this like future is like this, you is this know my
3: future <laughs> like yeah. is this what's coming for me like fuck yeah <laughs> but and yeah. to this day
4: Like, I was just somewhere up in the mountains last week. Like, to this day, I don't find myself as scared. Uh, Like, if I'm in a dark house somewhere that I don't know, I'm less scared of a thing coming through the window than I am of me being scared and therefore not being ready for it. Okay. Wow. Uh,
3: Okay. We're going really... I love it.
4: ...psychologically deep here.
3: Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, what did your parents think of you watching this? Like, (laughs) like, what was going on?
4: (laughs) I mean I think at that point they had I don't I don't honestly I don't remember even specifically um I mean I think they knew I was interested in certain things I mean they were like taking me to the library to get you know weird mysteries cool, okay. and things and um sweet you know they had they were aware of my were f- third grade work I think they were uh yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean that's how yeah. that yeah, that's absolutely they are like
4: all right you
3: know, <laughs> they, you invite them along. You're like, parents, Death come chat. on. Don't you yeah. Come. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I think they were, they were like really not phased.
3: That's good parenting right there. <laughs> it really
2: yeah. is. Yeah. I, did the movie surprise you with, with the twists and turns that it took? Yeah. Cause, um, oh yeah. I'll be honest, everyone that I've, that has seen either the play or the movie that I know, don't see any of what's coming coming. I did no. not see it coming.
4: I was totally, I was, it blew my mind. And that's like on the, on the, you know, to to the the thing we're saying about human beings can behave this way. I mean, that's what the twists are. It's it's oh my god, these people are so committed to these lies that mm-hmm. they are playing them out to yes. such a degree. Like oh my god, the degree they're going to manipulate each other. You can't believe as an audience member that. They are that committed to these lies. Like, you can't po- – this can't possibly be a lie because it's so extensive. Right. But, you know, indeed it is. And then it keeps twisting and twisting and twisting and twisting and twisting. I mean, like, it's one of those pieces where the plot is
2: really the star of it, you know? Like, the plot just keeps yeah.
4: turning, 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 turning. It's i eleven.
2: Oh, yeah. Right. So – did were you aware of Ira Levin? Because I've I've always been aware of his, you know, the books and the movies that have been adapted from him. Um does he a, did, does he write a lot of did he write a lot of plays or was Yeah. He okay. he did.
4: Um and a lot okay. of them I mean, nothing as successful as, Je- as Death as Tra- 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 and they were not all all thrillers. Um he, he okay. wrote a couple of comedies. There's a there's a comedy thriller, some of them are are really quite good. There's a there's a play that he did after Death Trap that's rarely done that has never been adapted for the screen, and I would love to uh, do it. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, but the rights are you know anyway uh, called Veronica's Room, which is a which is a really contained stage thriller that's pretty ingenious. But I was aware Aww. at that time. I was aware of Rosemary's Baby. I hadn't seen Ro- Rosemary's Baby. And I think I was at that time or shortly after was aware of the Stepford Wives, but hadn't, okay. hadn't okay. seen that. And and then – but Death Drop was my way into his – to that body of work and the boys from Brazil and, you know, I mean he's a – was a really, really, really impactful author.
2: Yeah, I – I, it's, it's so funny. So my – OK, my history with this is I thought I had seen this movie and until last night – I actually do not. I think this might be the first time I've seen the movie. Really? Yes. But my introduction, I thought I had. Yes, because Mm. my introduction to Death Trap was, um, and I had to go Google this. And luckily, the Bellevue Little Theater, which is a small (gasps) town. Theater in Bellevue, Nebraska. Yeah. Put this on, and I that is where I saw it for the first time. Oh and God. I was like, when did I see this? And I so I Googled it, and luckily they have all their past shows out on their website. Yeah. And so I nailed it down. It was nineteen ninety-eight when I saw it for oh the first God. time. So I would have been I would have been seventeen. <gasps> okay. And I was desperate to watch things that were Horror. I loved yeah. theater. I loved horror movies. I loved thrillers. I loved all of that, but I had not seen something other than like more comedic things. Like, I loved, um, Little Shop of Horrors, that kind of stuff. Sure. But like, in terms of, like, a serious play, and I knew nothing about it. I did not know that it was written by Ira Love, and I did not know the history about it. I didn't know there was a movie. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. All I knew is there's this play, and it has death in the title. Yeah, And it's, got you. And it's, like, <laughs> That's amazing. the way the the way it was, like, being advertised was, like, for mature audiences. Yeah. And I was, like, ooh, I gotta see this play. And yeah. I remember going to see it with a friend, and... It was very impactful for me because in the 90s, I was deeply closeted, Hmm. um, struggling with a lot of internalized homophobia from that time Mm -hmm. period because that time period is rife with like Brandon Tina, um, which was uh, the Boys Don't Cry movie that was made out about the trans man that was murdered in – Nebraska. So yeah. like this is like the history of, of like the, the the queer themes and I was so closeted at the time there that this moment happens in the play yeah. where it's revealed that they are um, that Clifford and Sydney are lovers. And mm. the, I to the credit of Bellevue Little Theatre, they had them hugging. Like standing wow. there in like a lover's embrace, there was no kiss oh. like in the movie, wow. but they were standing there grasping each other. And seventeen-year-old, very closeted Terry panicked in the movie in the <gasps> movie theater in the theater oh. because I was like, "Wow!" First, this was the first time I'd seen it. I'd seen a couple queer people in movies, but like this was the first time I'd seen like men in public embracing each other, like in yeah. front of me, as opposed to like being on a celluloid screen. Oh my god! And I kept thinking in my mind, "Do people think I'm gay?" Because I picked this play, and I was very excited wow. to see it. And so I had, like, an existential crisis oh my God. in the theater. Because oh I was still trying to figure out my sexuality. And it was such a homophobic time that yeah. I was like, no one can know that I'm gay. And I'm going to this play and had no idea that there was any sort of, like, gay lineage to this to this story. And wow. I was sitting there terrified. <laughs> oh, my God. That is... Quite potent right there.
3: Holy shit, Terry.
2: And so that's why I thought I had seen the movie, because then I I found out later that there was a movie called Death Trap. And I was like, oh, I've seen a play called Death Trap. And then I finally started putting pieces together. And I thought I had seen the movie. But then I started realizing, no, I saw the play a second time. And weirdly enough, I saw it in 2012. Omaha Community Playhouse put it on in 2012. And at that point, I was a year out of the closet. I was 30 I would have been 32 oh. years old, 31 years old. And I was finally out of the closet. And so it's yeah. weird to me to see this when I was so deeply in the closet and like, oh, God, I hope no one thinks I'm gay. And then seeing it as a out and proud gay yeah. man in my 30s and being like, I love this this play. Wow. And in yeah. that production, did they kiss? They held each other. Again, they
0: held no each kissing. Other.
2: And they okay, kiss. so go ahead,
4: please.
3: No, that's just, just me being like, why? That's... Just frustration. Well,
4: you know what's weird? There's so much to say and hear about. I mean, thank you for sharing that. That's so That's amazing wild, and Harry. speaks to that this play. Like, there's so many things. I mean, yeah. Because now one could say it's troubling representation. That it's a very, like, there is a villainous representation of this relationship in this play. And that is there, an innately problematic. Uh, um, approach to, to how this relationship is depicted, and at that time, there was little representation at all. No, there wasn't. And Mm-mm. it is, I believe, an exploration of, you know, part of, I think one could argue, of why that character, Sidney, is behaving the way he is, is, be, is having to be in the closet, is not being able to exist as himself. What does that yeah. do to the psyche? I think that's in this piece, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, I yeah.
2: agree. Absolutely, and I, I think it's weird because like when I was trying to to do research about this because like I was the reason why I I, I thought I'd seen this movie is that I knew that they kissed and I was like yeah. I don't remember them kissing in the play and I was like maybe I have seen this movie but when I was normally when I when I have like a recollection of seeing something when I finally watch it I'd be like oh yeah I remember this and I have yeah. absolutely no recollection of it. However, what was interesting is when I was doing research is the amount of times that like it seems like plays shy away from the yes. the. The homosexual aspect of it. Yes. Particularly like I did see something. Um there was there was a production more recently that had to be shut down, being put on by um In LA? Was it in LA? It was here. Yes. I know yes. Go go on, go on, go on. Well, I just remember, I I think, like, they they tried to put it on, and it was the Los Angeles Gay and Lesbian Center. Yeah. And the refusal was initially based on a short scene in which Clifford was seen nude from the rear for less than 30 seconds at the end of Act 1 – of the first act. And then they – we're giving it on the condition that the staging avoided any suggestion of a physical relationship between Clifford and Sydney, which I'm like, how can you do that? Yeah, like I feel like it's baked into this this play. So here's what's here's what
4: I've never gotten an answer to, and maybe this is us. We're gonna put it out in the world, and maybe I, we'll get an answer to this. So because uh, because so. when I did I did a production years ago that I that I directed, which is another story. But but the the they kiss in the movie. I have spoken to people who saw the original production at some point during its broadway run or on tour the original tour and swear they kissed on stage however the kiss is not in the licensed play and i don't right. know oh. i have suspected over the years that at that time when it was published for licensing there was some decision i mean my god talk about homophobia like oh we can't we have to remove that from the version that's going to be done around the country um and then there was this sort of then I've talked to people who are like, well, maybe they didn't kiss on Broadway. I but I'm telling you, people have sworn to me in that Broadway production really? okay. kiss was there. And it's certainly in the movie. And if you go watch interviews from the early eighties, people are asking Chris Reeve and Michael Caine like,
2: Oh, and there's oh. a gay kiss. I mean it's a was a okay. whole thing. So I'm glad you brought that up because I went and found these interview some yeah. interviews and I have clips of them because I was Amazing. I well, there's, so there's a. I want to talk about like the history of of like men kissing in cinema because I this was of quite a topic. Yeah. And I have this this interview clip. Um, Bobby um Weigand? Yes. Weigand? Yes. I know exactly yeah. the clip you're talking about. Yeah. All right, so listeners, I have this clip and I'm going to play it right now for all of us because uh, boy, talk about enraging. Yeah. Wait, is this is this? Can, can you hear this? I
3: cannot hear. anything. I can't hear
2: it. Why are you giving me issues all of a sudden? <laughs> I'm so happy we're doing a deep dive on on this.
4: Uh, by the way, I really because this is like people don't people don't know how significant this was at that time, right?
3: I'm surprised. not and I'm so surprised this isn't talked about more. I was like, how do I not know about the 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 the, the thriller with Michael Caine kissing Christopher Reeve how kissing do Superman? I not Know of this? Yeah. Like he's yeah. so. G- he's yeah. so cute and like everyone yeah. is just like mm. very attractive and i'm like why is this not talked about more like and i totally see like the negative representation but like you're saying i think it's so much more complicated and i think
1: yeah i agree
3: now that we have more representation i love seeing this villainous clearness but it, but yes. in the context yes. of it being alone and we don't have that It is like that, but it isn't. But I also do feel like it is hitting at that complexity of queer characters that we don't. We're only now just getting about them having like, like bad motivations and maybe not making good ideas and maybe being like not great people. But that doesn't mean like that doesn't diminish their queerness or make queer people bad. It's just like queer people can be bad. Yeah, but. It's it's hard in that time to have that narrative because yeah. of the context. Like it is like so yeah. difficult to have that narrative, and so it is like. But it's so good, and I wish when people. Talk, yeah. I'm like everyone needs to talk about this movie. It's just so incredibly done. It's
4: so well done, oh and the, and the, it's also interesting that the queerness is on the one hand. It's it's a secret. It's the secret. It's like in a way, it's one of the big secrets of the piece. So, on the one hand. It's like, oh my god, we can't talk about, you know, we if we want to keep the spoilers. Like, one can't talk or advertise uh, that this piece is so important and historic in that way. On the other hand, right. in a way, it being a secret, I wonder, kept the piece from being it, uh, certainly when the play was done in the seventies of being sort of stigmatized and stamped and marginalized as a play in that way. I wonder mm-hmm. because you it's the secret, but. It's this sort of self-propagating like cycle of secrecy and shame in a weird way that the play comments on and the movie comments on.
3: Yeah. And we, yet
4: is a part of historically, it's just a fascinating can of warmth, I think.
3: Is I was Ira Levin queer?
4: No, I don't think so.
3: Okay. So that that's why like that to me I think would color kind of my thoughts about it. Because yeah. I'm always curious, like is that the intention of like, again, it's like always so hard. I mean, you're never going to know full artist intention. Like we're never going to ever, ever know that. But it's just, yeah. it is so interesting just in thinking about Ira Levin, if he's not queer, having a gay couple at the center.
4: At the center. I mean, the, the it's about a queer man. The whole piece is about a queer man. And I yes. I would love to know his intention. I can only imagine that at that time working in the theater, he knew closeted playwrights some of whom were very very successful that now looking back it's like really that writer was closeted like it's so yeah mind-blowing now to think in the theater
2: of all places but yes there was pressure to be closeted right okay I th- it might be working now i'm gonna try it one okay. last time okay, and otherwise cool. I, um, okay, okay. I i do have the the written parts so okay. hopefully please work
5: chris are you prepared for all the jokes about now we know why superman flies
1: no, tell me, why is he black?
5: <laughs> <laughs> is that too obtuse? No, your character in Death Baked Trap. Big
1: beans, no, I don't know why.
5: <laughs> your character in Death Trap uh, has homosexual tendencies.
1: Uh, well, but that—that's, I mean that's not important to me, to the, to anybody. It's uh, w- what's really important is uh, what, what's 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 a guy willing to do to be successful, or in Michael Caine's character, what's he willing to do to stay successful? Would you kill to have a hit? Probably yes. Um, so it's about. If it has to be about anything, it's about uh, it's about ambition. That's the reality that it's based on. But it's basically, uh, as they say, it's a who'll do it rather than a who done it, because anybody could do anything to anybody else at any time. And they're all four very abnormal people um, that are somehow oddly likable in a certain way. And uh, the relationships don't matter uh, in any other respect than that.
5: Chris, is there anything that a script could call for an actor to do, a, a role that you're going to play, where you would just say, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I can't do that? Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And then he goes on to talk about it, like a, a, a long-winded talk about a bunch of other movies. But like the intention behind that question yeah, was basically, you kissed a man in a movie, would you have sex with a man in a movie, is, is the yeah. kind of yeah. subtext behind that. And it just... I find it so infuriating that this was the questions being asked at that time. I realized it was the 1980s, like 82 when this, when this came out. But I also started, like, when I, when I heard that interview, I started thinking back to when Brokeback Mountain came out and we had, um, Heath Ledger on that panel. And there's that famous video that's going around where a reporter's asking him, what would you say if, for people that find this disgusting? And I'm just like, when you realize that 1982, this is the questions being asked, 1999, 2000, I think it was 2000, and those questions were 2001, and those questions being asked. It's like, that was like 18, 20 years later. Yeah. And nothing's changed.
4: Yep. Yep. It's... And that she makes a, a joke, like, she has to connect it to Superman. Like, her implication, <laughs> the audacity that Superman would would do this movie, mm-hmm. there's no, like... Yeah, no,
0: it's it's just an an
3: eloquent answer about like, about like trying to like trying to change the subject of being like, it doesn't matter. Like, and like, again, it feels, oh god, my cat's causing mayhem behind me. Um, (laughs) um, but it's just like, he's trying to give this eloquent answer about like motivations and how like sexuality shouldn't matter. And she's just like, so would you have sex with a man? And it's just like, we just. We And we still are learning and haven't learned as a culture. And it's just like, why does, like, they have one kiss in this movie and the rest of it is about them, like, trying to outsmart each other and writing. Like, it's about creativity. And yet all we can focus on, like, the royal we here is, like, a 30, like, not even, like, a 15, 10 second kiss. And it's like, it's just, it's wild to me that that's so baffling to people i don't know and we could talk about that forever but it's just like that's what you took away from this movie not like all the other crazy shit that goes on there's a psychic who's incredible who wears an incredible hat with a running suit (laughs) Uh, myra's constantly screaming like someone help her like she is not like
4: (laughs) right and the kiss which by the way (sighs) is a spoiler like it, it is, yeah, like,
3: exactly. Like that's the take whole that thing. angle. Like well, you're saying that in an interview, exactly. And it's I guess it's like one of those. It's always that thing with movies, and they have a big twist. Like everyone knows the twist immediately, especially if it's gay. Like oh my god, I can't yeah. believe Superman kissed Michael Caine. Yeah. Like how could you? By the way,
4: how oh. good are both of them in this movie?
3: Like, oh, they're fantastic. Let's just take a moment. I haven't
4: they're seen so
3: Reeve in anything else in a long time. And he's incre- He's so yeah. handsome. He's the yeah. incredible as, like, the young ingenue. What? And Michael Caine is good always so good. So good. And he's so good at being kind of snide. Like, the way he just, he the way he, like, the arc he has in this from being, like, kind of, like, the cute, he ha- he's, like, the cute, character kind of the surrogate for the cute female character who's like and then he becomes like the femme fatal almost. I Mm. like love this Mm. inversion of him being like a femme fatale. Oh it's so good. And I love, like, the horror movie jump scare of him jumping out through the window, like, looking like Ash from the fucking Evil Dead, like, covered in blood. Yeah. Like, I knew, I had a feeling that that was going to happen, but I did not know, but then I looked at how much time was left, and I was like, I have absolutely no clue where this is going next. Like, I thought this was going to take on, like, a much longer, but, like, no, there is a lot more left to go in terms of twists and (laughs) turns. And
4: by the time, it like, late into the movie when they're having that very heated conversation, the two of them, and, and, he, and he says, uh, um, it, Michael Caine is saying to him, did they ever use the word to describe you? And he says, sociopath? It's yes. So, he's so oh. scary.
3: So good. And by the
4: way, that oh. moment, that line is not in the play. That is an addition for the oh, movie. Oh, it's not? That I think oh, is brilliant.
3: Cool. Oh, that's
0: such a good addition. He's so
4: good. Just... Still, the stillness in this movie st- is yeah. what gets me. Because you're right, there's the jump scare, and there's Diane Cannon just like running around like a crazy person. But the two, those two guys are like still. Like Michael Caine is like he's like a snake waiting to jump, mm-hmm. and you see him move, and he's intentional, and he'll cry. He crosses the fireplace, and he sits and waits, and he just lets it build, lets it build, lets it build. It's brilliant. Yeah. Sydney Lumet, it's
3: so good. I know, it's so good. It's. Ugh. I and I I honestly never even heard of this movie until you. Yeah, read, or, so and it really was is. Was like, and I was super, and I was like, this. I'm disappointed. And I'm like, this movie deserves, and maybe I'm like, just not looking in the right places. But like, this movie is just so good in its writing and in its sim- Like, it's not simple, but again, like the one location. I mean, they live in a windmill, which I think is fucking incredible. I mean... Like, whatever. This place in is incredible. <laughs> yeah, but, like, you know. the way they have it so contained and the way they make it feel so seamless is incredible. And, like, I love that because I just filmed my first feature that was single location. So it's really cool to see how other films have done it and have, like, accomplished that. And this one is just, like... I love films that you can tell were plays, but they use the cinematic space in a really interesting way, and like it lends for so many, like so much interesting movement, and like the room with the guns and the and the staircase, and there's just so much room for movement that creates such interesting dynamics, just with how they. The spatial like relationships between characters—it's just neat.
4: I could not agree more. It's a really, really brilliant case study. I think in 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 making a piece that is innately claustrophobic feel cinematic and expansive. Yeah, and yeah. see the grounds that they're on—it's gorgeous. And then the kitchen is its own character, and I mean, it's really—it's a good film. Beyond mm-hmm. being an adaptation of a of a play, it's yeah. a really brilliant Sydney Lumet film. That feels claustrophobic when it's supposed to feel claustrophobic, not because it was a play. Well, and, right?
3: like, the, the horror elements, like, when she's going down the stairs and she's not sure if there's anyone down there, and yes. then him bursting through, like, I know, this, I, I wouldn't consider it a horror movie, but the way that Lumet uses horror, like, tropes and horror techniques to build that suspense – are awesome to see here too, and how they're utilized in this space with this kind of amount of characters. Like, I just, I love, I love everything they're doing with every expectations. Like M Night totally. on who, like Death Trap. <laughs> yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah. Talk about twists. Yeah. And the and you're right. The the gestures and the tropes, the horror tropes. I mean, that the final sequence with the lightning and the thunder. I mean, it's like. They're oh. really just bringing in every horror trope that
2: you love.
4: It's so
3: good. The gothic and, lightning. It's just yeah.
2: like... <laughs> it's super gothic. It's just well, you fabulous. You mentioned you mentioned when she's going down the stairs, and I was like, she's decked out in a Victorian-esque, like, gown. Yes. Like, this yes. is bringing in oh. gothic in a cabin. Like, it, it feels yeah. like a cabin in, inside, and it's, yet, we have, like, her and her, like, she's almost like a, a Victorian virgin going down the stairs to check out, yes. like, you know, the noise, the creepy noise. And I just, like, I love the... the of those types of of um reference points that that obviously were used in this in this in this adaptation i just it's so good and there's a lot
4: i love that there there are a lot of very long takes in this movie
2: there's a lot yeah, so of I was just gonna lingering, say lingering takes mm-hmm. as they're walking
4: back and forth and you're like oh my god who's gonna play who next and the way that like i mean i'm really i'm just thinking of things i love about it that he yeah. in the in the big final sequence um, with Sydney and Clifford and the the staging of the fake. Now when Sydney's trying to outplay, you know, mm-hmm. and you see all the sweat on his shirt, like it's not glamorous. They, like they no. really, it's these people are falling apart, mm-hmm. and you see it. Like, it's messy, you know?
3: And I love that in movies when they actually let characters get sweaty and messy. It doesn't look artificial. Like, it feels so much more real. You're like, I'm so sorry, Christopher Reeve and Michael Caine, but, like, y'all are really killing it and selling it to me as even more terrifying. And, like, the stakes feel even higher, you know? Like, it just, you invest more in it when you realize, like, this isn't just, like, stunt people doing whatever. Like, there's actual effort, like, physical exertion happening here. Totally.
4: Totally.
3: And, totally. like, and I think that's what I love about theater is like, you don't have a you can't like, I mean, in some cases maybe, but you can't really have a stunt double a lot of the time. Like, there isn't mm-hmm. cutting, there isn't like abilities to have stunt doubles, except for, you know, maybe there's like some places, but there's that physicality that I like this movie kind of takes from the theater and lets us see that totally. physicality rather than trying to hide it. Because I feel like so often movies want to like hide that we actually have bodies. Like, yes, we have bodies, but like, do you actually have a real functioning body or is it just like an idyllic thing? So it's cool when movies like lean into just actual people.
4: I could not agree more. There's a, there's an exposing of, of these people, these yeah. bodies of the nitty gritty that I think the, film does a beautiful job of supporting that's in i think what's happening psychologically to these people i mean in a lot of ways it's like the whole piece is about these people being exposed like what is happening to these bodies trying to outsmart each other and yeah
3: i just will say i love we talking about bodies but i have to talk about the mind of our sweet dear christopher reeve Clifford, who thought that writing a play inspired by the actual, like, plotting murder was a good idea. I love him so much. He's like, oh, yeah, no one will know. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? I'm like, you know what? I love that. (laughs) An artist would do that like oh totally we, like it's so like as a like as a creative it's so funny watching us too just be like yeah we all mine our traumas for the next yeah. show like of course we, we yes. would do that like why like why wouldn't he do that it's just like also just as a, if you're a creative person it's funny to watch it because it is like also pretty biting about like <laughs> creative yes. works and like writing and how you use your own experiences to, <laughs> to create the next best thing so oh it's yeah just such a smart movie play work like it's just really interesting how it's like on all the levels it's operating it's
4: really cool and that scared me i mean i don't know to what degree when i first saw this i was consciously aware my cat now my cat is trying to participate um <laughs> it's always
3: a I don't,
4: yeah agents really. of chaos i don't know to what degree i was like could art- have articulated exactly what you just said then but i was definitely frightened by the question that that raises, like, oh my god, what of the scary things I'm reading and watching came from somebody's life,
3: and what, in like, what, yeah. like, do I have to
4: I, do crazy shit to write about it? Like, <laughs> what does this mean?
3: What do I have to go through in my life to be a successful artist? Yes, That's yes, like, what yes. Must I know to so actually be on screen? Are you confessing to
2: confessing making to uh, empanadas out of humans? Well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we can uh, talk you know, about that. I like to leave some things
4: uh, to, to the imagination.
2: <laughs> but, okay, speaking of, like, all the, 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 like, the horror tropes, I love that we get this huge panorama of, like, the weapons on the wall. Because it's basically, like... Chekhov's like wet dream right here, right? There's all these weapons, (laughs) there's manacles, there's all these things that end up like coming up in play multiple times, whether it's the gun, the knife, the Houdini's manacles, or the regular manacles. Like just the fact that we are setting up all of these things and you're sitting there going, what is he going to do? Which weapon is he going to choose? And I love the, the discussion where he's like, what about the mace? And and his wife is like, I don't leave blood on the floor. <laughs> like, yeah, and they're yeah, just yeah. joking about it. But, like, it turns into, like, what – someone is – one of these weapons or multiple weapons are going to be used. And which one is it going to be? And I love that little threat just from the – just – from the very beginning,
3: yeah, what, and it's, it's, got, it's people. It's, oh, sorry, it's, it feels like I knives out. Here. It feels like an, it feels like an, like a knives out had an homage that almost. Yeah. Like, yes. like, share With all the yeah. knives, it's just yeah, like, yeah. of course, there's going to be a like a thing of weapons here the whole time, and it's going to be used. And it's like, I love how obvious it is, and how they're like, yeah, fucking course. Like why, like not even try to hide it. Like let's just have this out. And like, I just love when. Any piece of media just commits to the bit and is like, oh, yeah, no, this is just like in the world. Like, yeah, yeah. no, we're not going to try to like write it into the scripts in any creative way. Like, any, it's in a different, in like different parts. Just like, oh, no, they're all just there because he's a weirdo. And I'm like, I love that. Yeah.
4: It's my favorite. Yeah. And he, for a living, studies violence. Yeah. You know, like, and that's like, the thing. Totally it like, makes
3: sense. <laughs>
4: yeah. That's what he does. Like, he's obsessed with death and violence. And yet, the weapon he chooses is fear itself. Yeah, it's so ingenious. It's
2: so smart. It really is.
4: God damn. It really is.
2: And so you, you talked about how the the scene with with um, Myra scared you as a, as a kid, where like she's starting to realize her husband, yeah. and those looks between her and her husband that they share at that moment is so good. But I, so, well, there's two things. One, I when I was trying to find um, an interview with. Um, with Michael Caine. Cause I was curious if they were posing the same questions as him, that they were mm-hmm. posing to, um, to Christopher Reeve and I couldn't find anything, but I did find a a clip of what is his name? It's, um, Robert Osborne who hosted TCM.
4: Yes. And so like he introduced this
2: movie and he makes a comment at before, like I found a YouTube clip that was in two parts. One is he was entering the movie. And then also as he was, um, after the movie was over and he, lays off in the beginning saying that he thinks that there was a miscast in this movie. And then by the end of it, he's like talking about, well, so he, he, he starts talking about the kiss between Superman's kissing Alfie. And I'm just, <laughs> uh,
0: <I laughs> but know.
2: then he also brings up um, the miscast. And he believes that Myra was miscast. And I completely disagree because disagree the, the moments that before, even before when um, it's becoming obvious that her husband wants to murder Clifford when when she is like resigned to the chaise lounge in the in, yes. the, in the corner and she is like trying so desperately to throw up all these suggestions to save Clifford's life. Where he's like, oh, you should work with him, like just sort of like, you know how you did with your mentor and like trying all these things to basically convince her husband not to murder. This guy is so well done. And she pulls it off so incredibly well. Like there's a little, there's a couple moments where she is like, obviously a little, it feels more like theatrical acting where she's like a little darling and like screaming and Mm -hmm. just kind of the fainting, which kind of plays into her character, of course. But that moment in particular is like, she is doing so much with, with so little at that moment, just trying to keep this man alive and i just love that on on this watch
4: she's great in this movie i Mm -hmm. i know that clip you're talking about i was like she's not miscast i mean she's very different i imagine than marion seldes who played that part in the theater and very famously never missed a performance in the four-year run on broadway which is crazy i imagine that that was a very different myra but i think diane Cannon is i agree with you she's brilliant and the nuance when they after the death or what she thinks is the death. And then mm-hmm. there's that scene with with her and Michael Caine in the kitchen. And she's telling him, like, now what's going to happen? And we're going to stage some fights?
2: Mm-hmm. And she's basically telling him, you're not who I thought you were. She's yep. heartbreaking. And trying to, like, be realistic about it. She's like, this has happened. I'm involved now. I don't like who you are and the realization yeah. of who you are and so the her laying out like you said the little fights that they're going to have and the little things to make it feel natural is so heartbreaking and yet so like i don't know stone cold at that point too like just yes. there's so many there's so much nuance to that portrayal in these in these moments that i just ah oh, it's so good she's i think she's really
4: wonderful and and you know even in the opening sequence when he when he calls her and she's in bed and she's chain smoking yeah. and she's so jumpy it's like there's already sh- she that performance and i and i have to imagine this is you know was intentional in the making of this film cuz this is it's very different in the in the play is, you know, the heavy lifting of really setting the tone and the tension is really on Diane Cannon's shoulders, I think, at the beginning yeah, of the movie. It's absolutely. her. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like,
0: she's carrying
2: it at the beginning, saying, this is what this is about, these are the stakes. So, I you, you kind of dropped a little bit at a thing. Do you, have you directed an adaptation of this? I did a production—I directed a production of the play—
4: um, At a summer theater eight years ago, that was a that was a yeah. So I've my yes my history with which I hope is not the last time I do it. That production in many ways was is not I think what I think this piece could be in a in a different context. Um, And I and I and I very much hope to do it again and really mind the because I've seen it it's sometimes done in the theater really where it really leans into the comedy. Um, and I think as we're talking about, I think there's a lot more psychologically to be, to be mined and, and, um, and uh, so I had an experience. I had an experience with it that I loved because I love the piece. But I want to. I mm-hmm. I would love to do it again and dig deeper and um and uh, and do it scary. There there's a there was a production that was done about ten years ago in London that starred Simon Russell Beale and Jonathan Groff that Matthew Warchus directed. Oh, mm-hmm. and I've seen there are little clips. I've never found really great footage of it, but there are little clips that suggest that that production really was. Directed as a horror piece. Like, like, we're going to do this as a thrill. Like, there are clips that are like, oh, this was scary. And I want to do, I would love to do a production someday and really just let it be scary.
2: And see, I'm glad you say that because I do remember the production that I saw in 2012 leaned a little bit more into the horror. Like, the the Mm. moments with the lightning out and the darkness with, like, the entire theater going dark and then the little bits of lightning illuminating what was happening. Like there were moments in that, that I was like, this is leaning a little bit more into the horror than I remember when I saw it originally at the Bellevue little theater. Oh, interesting! And I just, I I love that people can take this, that obviously there's there's humor in it. Like I, I think yeah. that the beginning of this is, is very funny. I think there's some dark humor in, in the, in the last half, but like the fact that you could lean into either the comedy aspect of it or the horror aspect of it, I think is, I think that's so fascinating with, uh, the same script. Totally, I totally agree, and it's interesting. It's sometimes
4: built when it's done in the theater. It's billed as a comedy thriller, and like there yep. was a there was a tour in the nineties that went out with um, Elliot Gould, and it was very. I think that oh, wow. was really marketed as like a comedy. It's comedy. It's funny. It's funny. It's funny. And um, but but it's yeah. No, you're right. With the same script, I, I m- my personal feeling is it's not that that play is funny. These characters are funny. These characters mm-hmm. are witty yes. and bright and make each other laugh, and they're sharp and so i i would love to do a production that really is it like lets it be that like the play is like it's not, fu- it's not funny what's going on no, but sydney really no matter how many people are how no, how much blood is unavoidably a funny human being yeah it,
3: it all again that is like a deeply hilarious just like ridiculous like i it, more so at the beginning than the end but like it just is with myra especially like so campy and yeah. so ridiculous and i love the way it's like one of those one of those works that really navigates the tonal changes really well and like because it could be so weird and it is weird but the tonal changes work in with each like kind of twist we get so i love totally. how this navigates all those changes
4: and those changes are really one of the things i love about it and and, and try to take with me in my own you know in like d- debating you know when we made dolores like to what degree is it horror to what degree is it comedy what does horror comedy yeah. mean you know on a given day mm-hmm. is those tonal changes in the in the Death Drop film i think are so sharp it just yeah. goes like
2: boom now we're here it just,
4: boom, just turns now out now a we're dime. here
0: yeah,
2: yeah. yep expertly the one last thing is that when, when i was watching this because again I, I i believe this might be probably the first time i've seen the movie i was watching it in the opening i was like boy this reminds me of weirdly enough another movie that comes out 10 years later that also has michael Caine and christopher reeve in it noises off the adaptation of noises off the opening oh, of this i was like sitting here going thank you for why that. does this feel like noises off to me yeah, yeah. To- i love that you just said that
4: yeah no, it's very yeah with the two of them it's very Which is wild to off. Me. I know.
2: a decade later nineteen ninety two a decade later they're doing another adaptation together and i it's I, a, love,
4: I that. love that noises off movie
2: it's so good oh,
4: it's, it's so really good. you're right, and the opening is very um it's very. It's very noisy Off The other movie that is sort of a cousin of this one – well, there are two movies of Sleuth, which is another big Broadway hit com- – commercial hit in the early 70s that then there are then there was a movie with Michael Caine. Um, that's another contained – you know, who's I've actually never who. seen Sleuth. Sleuth is a fascinating piece. And then there was a remake. Harold Pinter did the a, – a, a, um, a, a remake of it in – god, the like mid-2000s with Michael Caine in the other part – and Jude Law in the part that Michael Caine did, and that's oh, the, I shit. love that one, too. It's very Death Trappian.
3: Oh. Okay. Death it's Trappian. Love that. Yeah. It's uh, fun.
4: The cool. sleuths are fun. I recommend. Oh, All yeah. right.
3: Well, I know we can probably talk about this movie forever, but do we want to <laughs> wrap up now and give this our rating out of five?
2: Sounds good to me.
3: All right, Terry, we're going to start with you. how many tightly uh, Christopher Reeves tight cable knit sweaters out of five do you give uh, Death can Party? Us-
2: how to rock that sweater <laughs> i i was I,
3: sure i forget does. how
2: handsome that man was and there the physicality like i said that moment when he bursts in it's like sexy scary and horrifying all at the same time and i was like this is someone that knows how to use his body in very fascinating ways but this is not a christopher reeves podcast i christopher reeve podcast i love this movie um I'm surprised re-watch- on the, on this watch that I probably have never seen it because it is – this story is so – I don't know. It was so important to me throughout my teens and then into my 20s and 30s. Just the fact that this has been circling around me and I don't think I've seen the film is surprising to me. But it's I, – I love the acting in it. I think it is staged really well. I loved I, – I just I love this movie. For me, this is probably a, a – Four and a half um, tight knit sweaters out of five for me. What about you, Mary Beth?
3: I have to agree. I think this is definitely four and a half. Again, I had never really heard of this or seen it. and, And I'm so glad that I do know about it and hope to help spread the word about seeing Death Trap and looking at it and understanding its deeply interesting, fascinating history. And also just enjoying it for like the weird, wild ride that it is. From like the writing to the performances, everything about it is just like I want to write something this good someday. Like we could all hope to write something so cool someday. So, amen. Thank you to Aaron for bringing this to the show. But Aaron, you have the final word. How many of Christopher Reeves' tight-fitting cable dead sweaters out of five do you give, Trap?
4: I'm gonna give. It, I'm gonna give a five. Oh, I, yeah, five. I love it, and I'm so. Thrilled that you both liked it too. Like I like what a what a what a bummer this would have been if I was like I love this movie. You are like (laughs) I'm absolutely delighted that you both um, responded to it. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah,
2: Well, Aaron, thank you again so much for joining us. Are you on social media? Where can your listeners find you? And um, what do you do? You have anything coming up you can talk about? I'm not
4: on social media. I'm I uh, good for you for as long as I can possibly cling to my i i listen i've hung on to my flip phone for a very long time too hell Um, yeah (laughs) uh, (laughs) but i can find but you can i am reachable through my website which is aaronmarkwastaken.com because aaronmark.com was taken (laughs)
2: um (laughs) i was wondering where where that where that
4: naming convention came from that's hilarious it's easy to remember and um You know, check out Dolores and uh, hopefully, you know, say a little prayer, light a candle. Hopefully there will be more Dolores.
3: Fingers crossed. And thank you both
4: so much for having me. Yeah, hopefully this damn strike is over.
3: Yeah, seriously. Please, can we please pay writers and actors a fair living wage? Like, And also, like, fuck AI and anyway
4: yeah, truly this has been such i'm so delighted to talk to both of you thank you for hey. being so thoughtful and passionate and it's I, i'm just delighted
3: it was so great well, to thank talk you. you. i knew it was gonna be fun it was like terry loves theater i knew it's gonna be so <laughs> gonna be so fun but um listeners you have heard from us but we want to hear from you what was your experience with death trap have you watched it? Please watch it. I hope you watched it before you listened to this podcast If we didn't spoil it all for you, but send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com Or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MBMcAndrews.
2: And I'm at Dreadful.
3: And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast.
2: And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us, we are on Patreon.
3: Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy.
2: And until next time. (laughs)
1: scratchers to scratch there's a playful way you can do just that scratch with the key or acrylic nail scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail use a belt buckle from your friend lamar or scratch with your pick while you play guitar you can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways scratchers from the california lottery a little play can make your day please play responsibly must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim
5: Hi, this is Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you, add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC, and reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Voluma XC. injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
1: ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is the briefing room? It's a behind-the-scenes
2: look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave.
1: I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you small-town dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com